to the Water with Lemon podcast. This is Emma Cook, your host. I am super pumped that you are listening. On this episode of Water with Lemon, I'm chatting with Jean Marie Rich. I met Jean Marie in college and had the privilege of sitting on her couch while drinking sweet tea, and she spoke boldly and lovingly over my roommate and I about different challenges of life. Today, Jean Marie will share about her most recent adoption, which is a really cool story, and through that, what it looks like to be transparent with the people around us. I think this is going to be a really good topic because a lot of us have a hard time with what it looks like to actually open up uh, and be vulnerable with our community. I'm also excited to share our first sponsor with all of you. I'm sure many of you have heard of Audible. So Audible is offering my listeners a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Because we've been talking about a lot of different books on the podcast, and it's not always easy to find the time to pick up a book to read. So with Audible, you can listen on any of your devices at any time, just like you do with podcasts. So go to the link in my profile on Instagram, or you can go to audibletrial.com slash waterwithlemonpodcast, and you'll be able to get a free 30-day trial with a free audiobook download. Hope you enjoy our chat. Hey, Jean Marie, how's it going? Hey, doing great, doing I'm great. So happy that you're going to be on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course, you have been on my list. I have, <laughs> you know, I think back to the few times I got to just sit on your couch and hear you just spill out all your boldness and, you know, being transparent with me. So I'm just super excited to have you. Hey, well, it's great to be back together. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what life looks like for you these days. Yeah, well, you know, that's it's such a hard question. I always laugh um, because it depends where you know me, depends what people see of me. And they only kind of see this one side, but there's just many different facets. And so um, I am a wife um, to Phil and we live in College Station. We've been here about four years and um Get to serve in the ministry of impact. Um, but when we first had the opportunity to move here, I was really, really sad because um, we were leaving the ministry called TBRM and we were in camp ministry for about 10 years. And we both met at TBRM as um, camp counselors. So, you know, hey girls, those relationships do work out every once in a while. Yeah. And uh, I thought once we would leave TBRM that we would go overseas and we thought we'd go to Peru and and we thought um, we'd have the opportunity to work with street ministry, and I thought that was it. And when we got time to leave TBRM, that, that door got shut. And I was like, okay, Lord, now where are you going to send us? We have these very unique skill sets. And then Phil got the opportunity to come um, to interview the position for impact. And, and everything about the ministry is who he is. It, it desires his you know relationships and, and investing in people. And I was so excited for him, but I'm like, but what about me? Like, I know God's called me more than just being a wife. I, I mean, that is not my identity. That's a facet of who I am, but that is not who I am completely. And so getting here, I got a chance to partner up with a ministry called Jesus Said Love to work with women in the strip club. And hmm. that became um, a lot of my passion um, because God had opened up my heart to that um, about 15 years earlier. 
And so being here in College Station, I spend a lot of my time with women um, who are in the sex industry mm-hmm. and who are, whether traffic victims or abuse victims or women who um, just kind of live on the outside and who are wanting more from themselves and looking for a friendly face um, and looking for a good friend. And so for me, I get to be one of those friends um, and I love it. I absolutely love it. So it's been a lot of my time now. We call it Fight Club. So I do a lot of Fight Club activities. And I also have uh, three pretty awesome kiddos. Um, I have an eight-year-old son who is in second grade. And then we have a five-year-old daughter. Um, and we call her our Spicy Taco. <laughs> spicy Taco. She is our Spicy Taco. And then we have Isaac, who is 13 months, and he's our newbie. And two of our kids are adopted or were adopted. I guess it's more the proper terminology. Yes. Now they're all yours. All yours. Yes. 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 Whether they like it or not. Some days they probably wish they would uh, have open options, but they have (laughs) have no idea what they've got (laughs) right now. Right. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Right. Just you wait. Just you wait till that, that phone call from college. Right. That was like, okay, I'm sorry, mom. I love you. I really do. Thank you for everything you've done for me. Yes. Yes. I just keep telling them like, I will look smart one day to you. I will look smart and wise. You just wait. (laughs) Just hold on to that mom. Yeah. It's coming. Yeah, can you share a little bit about um, Isaac's story and how you came to adopt him? Yeah, so he's our second child that we adopted, and we we were already in College Station when we felt like God was telling us to go through the process again. And um, the shortening of it was we always wanted to adopt. That was something that was always in our heart when we first got married. But we, like typical um, Christians who are like, we're going to have a couple of kids on our own, and then mm-hmm. once we hit our goal number, then we'll adopt the kid that we want, and depending which gender we, you know, desire. And God just pretty much took that plan and threw it out the window and had five miscarriages and a lot of disappointment and a lot of heartache through the process. But like, so we went through the process with Olivia and we saw God's faithfulness in that. And that was incredible. And I was foolish, so foolish to think that round two would be easy. Cause I'm like, you know, we've been there, we've done that, we've seen God's goodness. The only hard part is going to be fundraising. But once we get to the fundraising part, that it'll be downhill. Yeah, easy. Mm-hmm. Like, there's what can shock us? <laughs> what you never ask know, that question. A lot, a lot could shock us. Uh, a lot could shock us. And so, yes, we started the process. And once we were full and ready to go, um, about three weeks later, we get a phone call and we got chosen. And I'm like, look, so fast, so quick. This easy, is easy. it. So that, that mom that we were matched with ultimately um, changed her mind at the 48-hour window. In Texas, you have 48 hours um, mm-hmm. after the child is born um, before you can sign papers. And they get to spend the time with the child if they choose to spend time with the child and really kind of think through the process. The hospital staff will talk through them. If there's an adoption agency involved with them, like for instance, our adoption agency has a caseworker that is specifically for the for the mom and then um, a caseworker that's specifically for us. And so if she wants to choose parenting, they will provide those resources for her and, and walk with her in that process. And that way there's just no kind of lines crossing. Yeah. So ultimately that mom changed her mind. That was hard. Um, mm. That was a hard process. And I think one of the hardest process for me was 
trusting um, Jackson, who was six at the time, because Jackson got to know her. And Jackson was old enough to realize that relationship um, with her because he had already gone through Olivia's adoption. And so going to the hospital knowing that we didn't bring home a baby. And so it was trusting God with him and trusting God with his heart. And then we're like, okay, well, you know what? That was a quick process. We're really ready. We just started the adoption process. It's probably good to have some time pass by. And then about probably 10 months um, until we got another phone call with another mom and we got matched with her and she was 20 weeks pregnant and we got to go find out, you know, if it was a boy or girl and she vied us in the process. She was the local mom. And so we spent a lot of time with her throughout the week because she needed um, additional assistance and additional help um, through the process. And so we were there for her. I'm not going to lie to you. That was hard. Um, and, and I work with a lot of women who have a lot of spiritual and community needs and, and need access to a lot of different resources. And I love doing that. But this was so much harder for me because it felt like I had to, if I ever told her no, then I was risking a child. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. And for me, it was so much harder because she put a lot of weight on me. She had a lot of demands from me specifically, not from our family, not from Phil, not from the agency. She had a lot of expectations on me. Mm. And, and if any time I told her no, um, she clearly communicated that it, it was very much dangling the child in front of me. Oh, and, and so I really struggled with um, Satan's lies telling me, you can't ruin this for Phil. Like this is this is she's having a boy. Phil really wants another son, and you know if you mess this up, it's because of you. And 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 believing the lie that not only did I quote lose five kids in miscarriage, my body couldn't hold kids that way. That if we lost this uh, this adoption failed, it'd be because of me. And it was so hard because it was it was four months of that daily. And, and having to go back to truth and having to go back to nobody can take away the child that God has planned for us. And I can't mess that up. Mm-hmm. But, but being able to see, feeling the, the lies of what seemed to be what Satan was telling me seemed so much more visually true mm-hmm. than actual truth. Right. And so ultimately she got, had the baby and at the 48 hour windows, she changed her mind with us. And, and oh devastation, gosh. wow, devastation took through and devastation felt for me of like, did I mess up? What did I say? What did I do? And just trusting before God and just honestly having a lot of wounds um, from a lot of things that she had said to yeah. me, a lot of accusations she made towards me. Um, it was a very, very wounding time. It's just like um, emotionally exhausting, I bet, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and then ultimately about a few weeks later, I broke, I I broke (laughs) my body just snapped and I started dealing with panic attacks. I started dealing with major anxiety, ultimately had to go to, um, go see, I remember having my first panic attack on Saturday and thankfully I had some other friends who were very honest with me in their, in their journey of anxiety and panic attacks mm-hmm. that I knew that there was no way around it. There was no way through it. There's no way under it. I mean, you only way through it is going through it. Yes. I mean, 
there's just you don't you don't get to skip it and stay in bed go no 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 snow day will come back tomorrow right no um, you have to go through it and so um i have seen that through them and thankfully because of their story monday morning comes i mean i called a counselor and i called my primary care doctor and i was into both of them before noon and i was like i, I need help like this is not who i am and this is i'm not healthy mm. um and then being able to realize that through the stress of the adoption process and through the stress of dealing with trafficking cases that I dealt with um, that year with my job, um, working with women from the industry, that so much had taken place that I realized I had not allowed myself out of the fight stage. You know, mm-hmm. fight, fight, like I had been operating in, in the fight stage for so long that my body had accepted that was the new normal. And then my body just got ticked and said, oh, no, it won't. <laughs> and it, <laughs> and uh, it shut down the business. And Man. Anyway, so I, yeah, sought counseling and um, started getting to back in the healthy process. And then time had passed. And then, you know, I was like, okay, you know what? It's a good thing no phone calls come. I, I took time out and kind of drew back from a lot of responsibilities and expectations from people and just to really kind of get priorities and, and get back in a very healthy place um, emotionally and mentally, uh, as long as was spiritually. And once that kind of, I felt like recovered and restored, I was like, hey, let's bring on the baby. I was like, I bet by the time October comes, I will be ready. And October came, no phone call. Mm. November came, no phone call. And then months started passing. And I'm like, why? Why the wait? And at this point in time, I um, officially wasn't working for an organization anymore. And I'm like, Lord, why? Why am I waiting? And then I remember starting to fear, really starting to fear of going, okay, what if I get a phone call and how am I going to respond? Like when we get matched again, how how am I going to respond? Is anxiety, am I going to believe? Am I going to be all in? How will that work? And I remember we got a phone call and my heart was like, this is where we're supposed to be. This is where we're supposed to be. And I had such peace about it that I'm telling you, if I've ever seen one miracle in my life, which I feel like I've seen many, Mm -hmm. but the truest, probably the truest way I've seen God's faithfulness in my life that's most undeniable is the fact the peace that God brought to me Mm. prior um, prior to having a baby in our home. Because I thought that I couldn't experience this joy and peace and contentment until after we had a baby. Yeah. When we get matched, people would always ask me a lot, like, do you think this is your baby? Do you think this is your baby? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm very much a realist. I'm like, I'll know when the papers are signed. I'll know when papers are signed. It's been 48 hours and I have, you know, court documents. And I remember thinking that I never could have peace until papers were signed. Mm. And the fact that God gave me peace before even Isaac was born, you know, going through this process, matching with this mom was so incredible. I, I remember the fact of some of my girlfriends here going, okay, like your match, I want to do a baby shower for you. And I'm like, oh no, oh no, you're not. Like no one bring anything to my house until the baby's here and papers are signed. Right. And, and they're like, okay, well, we'll pull the trigger once you tell us, you just let us know. And I remember one time going to Target 
and walking around and you know everybody loves target targets everybody's happy place uh, and ta- yes. and, you know, and like i always joke about like targets like you don't go to target to buy something like you go to target for to tell you what you're supposed to buy yeah oh my goodness i've never heard anything more true yes, so yes. and so for me target was my happy place in like 80 percent of the store but like uh-huh. there's 20 percent of this baby section was like my personal hell Mm. and it just brought anger inside of me that I was trying to push down so deep I didn't want anybody to see because I was bitter and I was mad Mm. that other people who could get pregnant could know when their baby was coming they knew what gender they were having they knew what ethnicity they were having they could plan for it and I Mm. couldn't do anything like everything was out of my control and so the baby section was like um, no man's land. Like I yes. knew my route to get around everywhere around um, the baby section without going to it. And so this particular trip, I decided to go and God's like, go to the baby section. And I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. And, and You're like, like, no, go I'll go look. anywhere but that place. Yes, 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 absolutely. Jonah, I hear you, Nineveh. I will go to the bathing suit aisle. <laughs> like, I'll go anywhere, but don't let me go to the baby section. <laughs> so um, anyway, so I go to the baby section, and I remember, like, looking at it and finding joy. And I remember just starting to cry. And for the first time, it was happy tears. And I remember calling Phil. I'm like, I'm in the baby section, and they have all this cute stuff, and it's all so amazing. And I'm just, it's just so great that I'm actually happy about it. And he was like, wait, what? And I'm like, hey, I'm like, I need to call a girlfriend. And I was calling my girlfriends and being so excited. I'm going, this is unbelievable, the fact that God would bring me to this joy to be able to come into something as silly as the Target section and, like, I enjoyed it before there was guarantee because I thought that God had to have guarantee before I could have peace and Uh have that joy. And even though there was still no, no guarantee, I still felt like the Lord did not tell me this was our child or not, but I felt very much the Lord told me, goes, Jimri, I want you here. I want you present. And I'm constantly, I mean, convinced of the fact that loving people the way that God loves people is never wasted. It is mm. never wasted. And my job is to do that with no matter who's in front of me. And it may it may break me to mm. panic attacks and anxiety. And God will deal with that with my heart. But my job is to pour his love out into other people. And so it's like, okay, here we are. Like this new girl that we're matched with who's 17 years old, we're going to love her where she's at. And we're going to be there for her. And if she chooses parenting, like, we're going to love her and love this child and love her family. And we'll trust him. If there is aftermath to deal with broken hardness, then we'll deal with that. But like today he hasn't given that to me. So I don't need to be focused on that. Like yeah. I need to be focused on loving these people. And if, if there is aftermath, God will provide that to deal with it. Mm. And so ultimately um, through that experience, God did. Allow us to bring home our big, handsome Isaac. Um, and it's just incredible for the fact going to the hospital, we legitimately joke about how we feel like we almost kidnapped a kid. Because <laughs> going to the hospital, you know, every plan that you think is planned, it all goes out the window because once hormones kick in and you have hospital staff and just nothing goes the way. I mean, this is our fourth hospital experience. So yeah. nothing, nothing goes the way that you think it will. 
and we were told that he would be one ethnicity. We were anticipating one ethnicity, and he's a different ethnicity than what we anticipated. And then he was in the NICU the entire time. And so it wasn't like, I think I held him maybe five minutes the entire time in the hospital. And so we and then we named him something that wasn't even on our list. Um, And we felt very much of God telling us, this was our Abraham moment that we had to lay this son down, believing that whether this was our son or not, that God was going to grow our family, that we needed to trust God for our family. His middle name is her maiden name. I mean, it's her current last name. Mm-hmm. And so, um, anyway, it's a name that honors her and also believe in Isaac, that God's going to continue to grow her family as well. But anyway, so we got this kid who looks different and has a different name, and we didn't hardly touch him. And we get in the car, and we're driving home, and we're like, we have a kid! But <laughs> not expected at all. Not at all. But it is truly I mean, more abundant and more gracious than we could have ever imagined. Um, I don't think I have fallen in love with a child so quickly the way that we have with Isaac. And so wow. he's, he's, uh, he's pretty incredible. I love that story. So good. Our eight-year-old Jackson will tell you, I'm just so glad that we have Isaac because our life was just terrible before him. So I'm like, <laughs> terrible? Yes. <laughs> I used to make my life so much better. I'm like, I, I agree. I don't know if I would find terrible. <laughs> it was really that bad, buddy? <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's funny. Jackson's so funny. He has a good sense of humor. He does. He does. So what do you feel like the Lord taught you most in that season? I know it's hard to sum it up because, man, there's probably so much that he taught you. But what would be like the big thing that you think you learned? Yeah. I think being okay, not being okay. You know, through the adoption process, a lot of people are watching you. And everybody just thinks adoption is this happy season. You're looking forward to it, and you are. But there is so much grief involved Mm. as you wait in the unknowing and completely being out of control. You know, I always joke that, you know, I was blessed to being able to carry um, one child, getting to carry Jackson. There's such false sense of control that finds such comfort in you, like going, oh, yeah, I'm in charge with Kyle and I'm growing this child and I know, you know, what's going into my body. So this child's going to be healthy. Like you have all these false sense of control. But with adoption, like you just have there's just no I mean, you are fully aware that you have no control of it. And I think for me, this there were a lot of bad days and there were a lot of hard days in the waiting and. And being okay with that and being okay telling people that. And, and I think more than anything, I learned the process as inviting other people into that process. Mm. Because people could not rejoice with us about the excitement of bringing a child home if they didn't understand the grief and the loss yeah. before that child. And I think just being honest with that, and that was really hard. Even with our small group, that we joined a new small group, didn't really know people, and during prayer request time, and people kind of sharing some, you know, different things that are going on in their lives, and and just being open and honest and going, this is hard. This is really hard. And we have another like quarterly support group meeting in our agency, and seeing other people that are getting mashed and feel like you're getting passed by, and you feel like all these friends like who are having their third kid, you know, in the process when you've been waiting and seeing people having their announcements for their babies and having baby showers and somebody had a baby. So you need to bring them food. And 
and being open and honest and just saying, hey, I'm not doing good. This is really hard for me, and I just need y'all's prayer for that. Mm. And being okay with that and not feel like I had to apologize for that because allowing people to join us in on that journey and pray for us because those people who saw that got really excited mm-hmm. once we were at the hospital and and people at our church in the nursery like our small group class like they love going seeing Isaac in the in the nursery because they feel so much more part of his story yeah um and so i think being able to just the value of inviting people into the hard times so they can celebrate the good times with you that's so good. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you today about is just being able to be honest and open with where you're at. And like I said earlier, that's something I've always admired about you that, you know, you're just always honest um, in how you speak about your life and the things that the Lord's teaching you. And I think that's something that believers struggle with a lot, you know, just pretending that they have it all together, right? That we have to, that for some reason, (laughs) you know, putting off this idea that we have things together is showing somehow that we're better believers. I'm not really sure. Why do we think that? What's the lie there? Um, And what good does that do for us to just put on a facade? What, who does that benefit? So could you talk to us a little bit about your heart behind the importance of being honest about where you're at instead of just putting on a show for people. Well, you know, that, that's so true because for some reason we, I don't know where, if we picked it up in VBS, we picked up at Awanas, whatever activity we went to, we felt this need to become God's PR manager, that we need, <laughs> we need to polish God and make God look good. So if we look good, then God looks good, and therefore people will run up to us and go, I want your God. Mm. And that, I think that's one of the biggest lies that Satan has like had us like, like believe. And, and, and not only like we're trying to do that, but we're trying to like live up to other Christians around church and in our, in our community and our life groups about going, look how good God's doing in my life because I have my act all together. And it's so funny because I bought into that for so long too, up until the point that I could not find scripture to back that philosophy at all. I could not find it to back up. A matter of fact, scripture says the exact opposite of that, you know, talking about like that we must decrease for Christ to increase, you know, and, and for the fact that when we're weak, he is strong. And, but yet we still feel the need in order for people to want to know Jesus or want to grow in their relationship with God that, it's because our life, we got our life figured out. Yeah. And, and I have found for me that if I am just, if I, people just see that I'm a hot mess, which is constant, um, that if they see anything good of me, that it will clearly, I mean, obviously be from the Lord yeah. and not, and not from me. Um, and I think that's, you know, there's two folds. There's one's like, I need people to see that it purely is from God and not for me. And then on the second half of is keeping up a show and keeping up a polished look. I ain't got time for that. That is too hard. Like that Uh is too, that is too hard to maintain for me. Like I, I am trying to think how many days I've used dry shampoo, much less (laughs) trying to figure out like who saw me wear what shirt the last time I saw them. Like I ain't got time for that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, We've all done that though. It's- yes. And, and I think for me, it's like, for me, I go back to what's the why in it? Like what's the heartbeat in my emotions um, and, and wanting to keep a polished look recently um, our church, well, we had Easter and I was serving in the kids program. I mean, serving back in the kids classroom and typically at our church, like you wear a t-shirt that says yeah. our church's name on it, on the front of it. And so that way they can identify that you're a volunteer back in the classroom. Well, it's Easter Sunday. So like, I mean, I have Southern Baptist roots. So like you get dressed up, like yeah. people buy you a pretty dress for church on Easter Sunday. And I'm like, I'm all of a sudden at a complex. I'm like, it's Easter Sunday. I'm working with the four-year-olds. I'm supposed to wear a t-shirt, but t-shirts do not go with Easter Sunday. Like, <laughs> what do I do? And so I had to go back to like, what's my why? What is the heartbeat of me wanting to wear what I want to wear? And so ultimately I, I, I chose to wear the t-shirt because I'm going, the heartbeat for me wanting to wear a nice dress is to get compliments from people and to be like everybody's in their Easter attire And I just, I had to figure out, like, I need to get over myself. And that was for me in that moment versus somebody else, their why, their answer that was more spiritual, that would have been more honoring to God would have been wearing the Easter dress because they may have dealt with pride of saying, Ooh, I'm working in the kids program on Easter Sunday. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very important to be able to remember, like, my response towards godliness is not everybody else's response towards godliness and being able to realize not judging another person because, Ooh, you chose to wear the t-shirt. Ooh, mm-hmm. you chose to wear the dress. But it's being able to understand like working on your own heart and, and asking your own why instead of focusing on other people's why. So how do you think that translates to our community? So the people around us, what should it look like for us to be transparent with our community? You know, I think it's so interesting, even like, even asking the question about how community versus people around us. Mm-hmm. And I think, that, and I think it's so interesting because, you know, back when I went in college, <laughs> you know, in the early 2000s, community was people around us because it was pre-social media. It was pre, yeah. you know, it was really, it was pre-cell phone. Like when you called on the phone, like we did have cell phones, but you had like a hundred minutes, you know, for the yeah. month. And those were like squeezed you pay out. for the minute. And it's like, oh, you can't, we cannot oh, yeah. go over 10 minutes right now. We're off to pay for no, that. No, not at all. No, it's so expensive. And so the community was the people around you. Uh, but versus today, it's going, it is two different categories. The people that are around me and my community, because I identified my community, even though I haven't seen my college roommates face to face, some in several years, but I still put them a part of my community because I interact with them so much on social media and through conversations, through whether it's through Instagram or through its stories or Facebook or whether it's through text messaging or Voxer. Yeah. Even though they're not in proximity to me. That's so true. And so, so it's being able to say, like, how am I being vulnerable and authentic in my day-to-day lives so when I'm going to the grocery store, when I'm going to church, when I'm going to Bible study, when I'm going to go watch a movie out and about or going to eat dinner with my friends. And so there's that kind of vulnerability. But there's also the authenticity of what I am responding to online through technology. So how am I responding to both of those? And I think it once again goes back to what is your why? And and, and so 
I think, you know, talking about the two different types of communities, I think it's going to look different because, I mean, realistically, you're not going to be that transparent with each person in each category and every person the same way. And I think the transparency looks like sometimes it may be just a, a, a 30 second passing by in the church foyer. Sometimes it may be that transparency on social media. And sometimes it's that transparency over a long dinner that you haven't caught up with for two hours. And I think it's really been going, what is your heartbeat and what you're trying to portray who you are? Hmm. Is, it, is it because you're wanting that person's approval or because you're wanting to be a part of their lives? And I think that's a lot of times we we're searching for the approval of a person first before they can be a part of our lives mm-hmm. versus having them a part of our lives first and then looking for that feedback. Yeah, because a lot of times our motive is, yeah, first to f- get their approval. So what can I say in order to get them to approve of me and then they'll be in my circle, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it should well, be the opposite. Anytime you're talking to somebody who has uh, a history of a drug abuse or any kind of addiction, yeah. when you ask when you ask them particular like how much what does that look like? How much do you take or um, how much do you drink or you know what type of drug and how you know how often do you use it? They're never going to respond to you in, in an honest answer. They're only going to respond to you in what they think that you're willing to accept. And so I think that's the same way as well among friendships and being vulnerable, that that's what's holding us back of being more authentic with each other is because when you meet somebody and you're like, hey, I want to be friends with them. I see them on social media or I see them in this uh, cool circle, whether it's I I moved to a new city and and I knew them in college and I really want to get in with them. When you first start interacting and they kind of ask a few things about you, what you share with them about yourself, anything that's more kind of like the more authentic role of yourself, it's uh-huh. only the amount that you think that they're willing to accept. Because <laughs> you're going, if I put too much on them, I'm going to freak them out and they're out. And I lost my chance. It's like a first date, yeah. you know? And so it's going, I don't want to lose <laughs> that. And so you want to put all of your cool points up first and be like, look at me, look at me. I'm worthy to to be to you know to do life with mm-hmm. not this like let me tell you who I am and how I get to be like yeah I get you though yeah I mean you're you're more focused on wanting to show the best parts about you mm-hmm. and hoping they only don't see too much junk about you that's going to make them run away right and and I think today because we have so much access to um to the community and the people around us, the two different circles is that you feel like you're always in a big pond, you mm-hmm. know, versus like growing up before social media and for all this stuff that hit, the ponds were a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. And so you, that you're like I said, your community was only the people around you. Yeah. And so you didn't feel like you were fighting or you don't feel like you were trying to get the person's attention yeah. Um, you didn't feel like you were competing with so many other people, but now you feel like you're competing, you're competing with the old college roommates who are in their town and you're talking with on text or Marco Polo, or who you're talking through Voxer or who you're going to FaceTime with later. There's so many more people that you feel like you're competing with because you have access with people all the time. Yeah, that's so, so true. And so you want to see the positive parts. And so who's always really sharing their junk? Even though that's what people really want is that intimacy. Yeah. But 
they're scared to take the first step. Yeah, that's so true. We feel like we have so much more to live up to probably, right? Uh, Absolutely. But do you think, so I was thinking about this while you were talking of, so when you're first meeting somebody, I feel like, you know, that's when we're telling them what they want to hear, right? But we don't really want to just lay all of our junk out there because we're like, okay, we don't want them to be our friends. So do you think there is kind of like a point where, or do you feel like it's okay, like at first to be not necessarily like putting on a mask or trying to pretend we're somebody we're not, but like keeping our guard up a little bit because maybe to like guard our hearts instead of just like spilling out everything about us at first and like waiting, maybe like building trust with people. Do you think there's kind of like a barrier there or what do you think about that? Like there's still the third date girlfriend role. (laughs) (laughs) Like, First date, let's talk about all the mutual friends and different things we did together in college, you know. And second date, it's going, tell me about your family and growing up. And third date, it's like, okay, now let's talk. Um, yeah, I, yes, I, I guess I, you put it in a very different light. But... Yeah, I think, well, we're always scared of being that awkward girl. You know, no one wants to be that girl that's showing up and going here's all my junk and and let me just give it to you right now. First of all, no one wants to be friends with that girl because no one does. She has too many problems. That's too much. Going If this is the first date, what's the third date going to look like? Do you still have more? Um, You know, I think for me is figuring out how to do that is be the friend that you need. And, And that's what I always suggest to people is if you're moving into a town, you're moving into a new community or a new space is, is be the person that you're looking for. Mm. And a lot of that is asking good questions to the other person because it's so many times we enter in conversations. We want to be known. We want them to ask good questions about us. But when someone makes you feel like they're asking questions and getting to know you, you naturally want to spend time with them. Yeah. And then in return, you're going to ask questions back. And so I I would suggest like in order to create and cultivate good transparency and and good um, authenticity in relationships is being able to ask good questions. It's not necessarily being the person that's coming in and being the first one telling your deepest, darkest secret to, you know, like it's more of going, tell me about a time that's been most influential in your life or who's the person that's influenced you the most or you know, just like as you're asking me questions, you yeah. walk away and go, man, that was so great. I'd love to catch up with her and ask her questions. I did all the talking. I would love to talk to her to hear her stories. Right. So people naturally are going to gravitate to that because that creates this sense of feeling known. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I feel like that makes more sense. It's like the difference between having small talk or talking surface level and being intentional. Right. So you don't have to just be like spewing out all your junk. It's more like, okay, let's be intentional in conversation instead of how are you? I'm good. So how's your dog? You know, right. Pushing past the small talk. One of my go to questions that I always ask is um, I found that in College Station and then we lived in New Braunfels for about 10 years. 
Um, in both cities, I feel like no one grew up there and has stayed there. Like, everybody has kind of traveled, like, moved there from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's most places for most cities outside of my hometown in Arkansas. But um, <laughs> I, 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 I find to ask is going, how long have you lived here? And they'll tell me. And it's like, well, where'd you live beforehand? And it's like, well, what brought you here? And it's going, what is the thing that you enjoy the most about College Station? What is the thing that you you miss the most about your former city? You know, if you could go back and add one thing about that city and bring it to this city, what would that be? You know, and asking intentional questions like that, Mm -hmm. you'll start learning about the person without having to divulge all of their all of their sins. Right. (laughs) that's not the goal. That's not the goal. Yeah. <laughs> to know someone, you don't have to know. How do you struggle in every way? Like, yeah. no, like that. You know, no one wants to be that girl. Especially on the first date. Right. But you still get to know <laughs> them, and you find out what their interests are and what um, what they're like, what they're passionate about, um, and things that they care about. And you're starting to get to know the person. It's funny because I thought about. I had a conversation with some some of like my newer friends here in Dallas and we sat down one night at dinner and I was completely kidding preface but you know we sat down I made him some dinner and I was like so guys what are your deepest darkest sin struggles you know and they looked at me and just kind of laughed and you know it was it was totally kidding but I was also like I just I just want to be intentional with them you know I do want to know where their hearts are at but I was totally kidding. So don't yeah. ask that question on the first date, but I choose right. you, can, you can keep, you know, as you continue to like learn about them, um, like it's, that's just naturally going to happen as long as you're being intentional with somebody, right? It doesn't have to be like, okay, share your whole testimony with me on the very first date, right? Date. Why do we right. keep saying date? <laughs> <laughs> the very first hangout, right? Um, so that's good. Well, I think it's told that you can go into the questions of what are some challenges that you have faced, you know, in this season of life or this transition that you didn't face in your prior ones? You know, what are the things that you found easier? You know, what what have been some resources? You know, you can continue to ask questions like Mm -hmm. that, that naturally continues, you know, to breathe vulnerability and vulnerability breathes vulnerability. It only continues to grow as you continue to water it. And I think for and continue to be honest in a two-sided conversation, it's naturally going to do that between relationships. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that we tend to shy away from being honest with people? I I think it goes back to, kind of like we talked about earlier, is going, we're scared that we're too much. And and we crave community, we crave connection so much that we rather have a partial relationship than not have one at all. And so we Mm. fear not having any relationship. And so we'll go with the shallow one versus having nothing. Um, And we're, like I said, just we're scared of being too much for someone that they can handle. And yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's really interesting. When we moved to College Station, I I grew up, I was a small town. um, Everybody knows everybody. And was athletic and naturally was among the popular crowd. And we went to college, 
had no problem making good, you know, friends and community. And, and college naturally breeds that. You, know, you have organization, you have mixers, you have different activities and class majors. And so you're always kind of put in natural pods mm-hmm. uh, that you can make kind of quick connections pretty quickly. And because everybody's kind of mixing constantly at the exact same time, everybody's kind of looking for a dance partner at some point in time. Yeah. So you kind of naturally, you hook up pretty quickly in relationships and then you switch semesters and you're in the same organization or you're in the same classes or you're living you know, near each other, or same church. And so the proximity and because everybody's doing the same dance, it's easy to connect. Mm-hmm. And I transferred colleges um, and same thing. I found connections and found friendships really quick. And then I went and worked at a summer camp. Well, naturally, ex- this is extroverts paradise, and you connect really quickly. And, <laughs> and I ended up going back on staff with that camp, and then I met my husband at that camp, and then we were there 10 years. And so I had never been out of a position of where I was starting all over at a different stage of life than everybody else. And so we moved to College Station. My husband was coming back home, who's an Aggie. And so he's like, my people! like all fellow Aggies and he knew the streets, he knew the area. And because of his position, the naturally, it naturally created relationships with other people in town because of their positions with the different church leaders. And, and so, and then he had a lot of costumes. So he had no problem filling his lunch schedules. And then, then there was me who was like this lone razorback in Aggie, <laughs> Aggie land. And then I had small children who also, and, None were in school yet, um, and so we were at our house, and I was at my house a lot, and I was working from home at this point in time, so I never left my house, mm-hmm. and and when I did leave my house, I was gone longer than expected because I didn't know how to get anywhere because none of the roads made sense to me, <laughs> and so I felt I was constantly lost, and every time I'd go to any kind of women's event, I felt like everybody else had already found their best friends, and they had already solidified everything. And there was no room for anybody else. And I kept thinking, like, I'm cool. And I kept, like, almost, like, looking in the mirror, like, I'm cool. I'm pretty. <laughs> and I got it. I'm a great person. You know, I'm going to give myself these pep talks. Like, I mean, sure, I have friends. <laughs> and so <laughs> people, I think I'm semi-funny. And so, but I would go to women's event and women's event. I mean, if there was any women's event at any church in our town, at any denomination, I mean, I was there. <laughs> And I was struggling so hard to make connections because it was one of the first times in my life I was placed in a setting that everybody was not in the same mixer. I was on the first song of the night and they, it seemed like they had already been dancing for years and they already have their people, they have their crowd, they have everything. And so they weren't looking for me, but yet I was looking for them and I was trying to find my in, um, and so I felt like it was the first time for me to really understand the insecurities and really having to deal with how God sees me yeah. and like being able to understand like what, what is my worth? What's an accurate view of who I am um, in Christ, but also not like wearing like this Proverbs 31 shirt on, but like, I'm a godly woman. And like, <laughs> but also like trying to like be also aware of, of, an uh, social norms in the same setting. And so trying to figure out going, how do you make these relationships? How do you show up time and time again? Um, and, and to be transparent 
when everybody already seems like they have their pace. And, and for me, it was a shock to my reality um, because it wasn't as easy as it was in college. And it wasn't as easy working in a summer camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really made me go back to a lot of scripture and going back to what my identity was. Mm-hmm. And being able to stay true to who I were, was versus trying to adapt to what I thought people wanted or what they needed. Like, what? Well, oh, someone someone moved away. Like, here's an open spot. Like, who do I need to be? And how do I need to act to be able to fill their spot? Mm-hmm. And, and that and that's the pressure is is trying to mimic to fit in to fit into that group. It, it was hard. I mean, someone told me that it would take two years when I first moved. They're like, oh, it takes two years. I'm like, two years? No way. I'm totally going to beat that norm. Like, I'm an extrovert. I'm semi funny. Like. I'm confident person. Like I can do this. And it legitimately took me two years until I felt like I found my people mm-hmm. and like they know me and I like, I know them and I can send them raw text and them thinking that like they need to cut me off because <laughs> they knew me enough to know like Jimmy's having a bad moment, but that bad day or that bad week or that bad month, did not define who I was mm-hmm. because they saw a bigger picture of the all me versus what that luggage had inside of it. Yeah. And that brings up a good point too of it takes time for sure to be able to build that uh, vulnerability with people, right? I mean, even if you're like that up front, it does take time to be able to build that with them, right? And I think that's a really big one for people my age of people who are coming out of college or that just got married and maybe they're in a new place or a new season of life. And yeah, in college, it's really easy to be all in the same. You ha- you always have something in common with somebody, right? You're, you all go to school. You all are this or this. So coming into the real world, it's not as easy. Um, And so I'm sure for you, that just looked like a lot of on your knees praying for friends, right? For people that um, you would be able to call and give them your real and raw. And so why would the Lord not give that to us, right? But it's not always in our timing. Well, and I felt like for me, one thing that I, a quirky thing about me, I, I really love yard work. Um, I really love plants. I really love trees. I love planting things. I, I think it's the farm girl. I think it's the farm girl inside of me. I grew up on a rice farm in Arkansas. And so I just want to see things grow. And so when we moved here, I have planted um, seven trees in our house. And, and honestly, the funny thing about it is when we lived in New Braunfels, there wasn't much landscaping at our house. And, and I felt like I always planted things based upon what season I was going through. And it's almost like I have like this prayer garden all around my house because mm-hmm. I could tell you based upon what I was going through when I planted that particular plant or mm-hmm. bush or roses or whatever it was. Because once you plant something, you don't just get to put it in the ground and walk away. No, right. you have to keep tending to it. You have to keep watering it, taking care of it and pruning it. Um, and, and for at least a solid year. And so I always laughed when, um, we left that house. I'm like, I'm going to miss my prayer yard because <laughs> I can go <laughs> and tell you, the, tell you the stories about everything. And so we moved into our house in College Station. There's a lot, a lot of dead space where there was nothing in it whatsoever. And I'm like, 
Lord, what are you going to put me through? <laughs> like, what are we going to go through? <laughs> I have all of this space to plant stuff. It's so, um, being here almost five years, I have planted a lot and we've gone through a lot. But in planting trees, what's so interesting about trees is that the best time to plant trees is in the winter time. Mm-hmm. That's when they take the best root. And, you know, when, when you water trees in the first year, you don't want to water them just right at the base of the tree because you want it to deepen its roots. Because if you just go in there and you plant a tree um, in the ground and you water it right on top of at the base of the tree, all it's going to do is it's going to keep the roots shallow and very near to the tree trunk. It's never going to deepen. And so as it matures over the age and gets top heavy, when the winds blows, what's going to fall over? You know, this 20, 30, you know, however old tree, a good windstorm, a massive tree blows over because the roots never deepened and it never went down and it never spread out. Mm. So same thing in our life. When we first come into a new area that we got to deepen our roots and so many times that we want the easy water brought to us and the shallowness of it. And, and we want it so surface level, mm-hmm. but, the, but we need it to deepen. And so I think that two years is such a hard season. We are going to a new place, but it's so vital because that's when our like a deepening of we understand who God is. We understand who we are and why our purpose is there for that community versus you know, the roots are trying to find the natural source of the water and it's trying to go down to the earth versus sweet, sweet college station water is not <laughs> the greatest water in the world at it's all. It's the worst. It is the worst. I remember going and meeting with a master gardener when I got here and I was like, I don't understand. I am killing everything. <laughs> like, I thought I had a semi-decent green thumb and... Apparently, I don't. And she goes, oh, honey, the water here is awful. It naturally (laughs) kills, she goes, it naturally kills 50% of the stuff here because the water is so terrible um, because it's so acidic. And because when you water it so much, it absorbs, you know, the acidic of the water and several plants, it'll just kill it automatically. So you really depend on the natural water source to be able to really have plants flourish. The same thing is true for us in our own spiritual growth and our, in our, in our development is that we got to have the deepening of the roots of the tree to go down to the natural source. But we so selfishly want the quick and easy water and friendships and relationships to fill the space and it come to us. And so we don't have to branch out. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to reach out. But the reality of it is, too much of that will kill us mm. because we lose our identity. We lose our purpose. And when the storms come later in life and years down the road, when when things push through, that's going to unroot us because our roots were never really truly deep. Mm. That they were, they were depending on artificial, you know, resources instead of the natural resources that we were created to depend on. Yes. Uh, and so I just think that two years is so crucial it's so painful but once again like for trees to deepen their roots and the healthiest times for trees to get rooted is in the winter time it's in that season when it's barren and it's cold and it's hard mm-hmm. uh, but that's when it that's when it develops and establishes great fern um roots versus we think springtime plant a tree and water 
versus that's actually exact opposite what it needs. And so I think for me is, and we talk in 20 somethings and 30 somethings, anytime you go into a new area starting over is being able to go back to it's going just because this is a quick fix today. How is this going to establish the rooting of this and setting up for the years to come? Is this the natural resource? Am I rooting into the natural water or am I just looking for the college station water that comes to me so easily, but yet it's keeping me at this spot that I'm not finding any growth. Yeah. And so, yes, I, I think it's just a good mixture of it. It's going, you want those relationships, but finding those deep roots of knowing who you are and who you are in Christ. Mm-hmm. So that way, when the challenges comes in friendships and comes challenging your family and comes challenges through your job and, and through life, because challenges are coming, uh, that you can withstand those those storms. Yes, I love that so much. That's a really good analogy. I also love plants. I always think about like times when I went through hard things. I'm like, I got to go. I got to go to the garden store. I really, I need to go get some plants. And uh, I had the garden of Emma in high school and instead of Eden. (laughs) And I had a vegetable garden in my uh, backyard at my house. So I crave or I'm longing for the day when I have like a house with a backyard that I can plant it's just, a, yes. it's just a fun thing. And it's so many, so many gospel connections when you think about oh, planting things. It's so true. I have a sweet neighbor that we talk about how we always have like our, our yard devotions, what God teaches us through, you know, working out in our yard and plants. And yeah, I told Phil, um, we first moved here and I started planting things. And I'm like, okay, we're here in this house for at least five years, five years, because I need to see this stuff grow a little bit. And now I've decided that since we've been here almost five years, that um, if we move that I'm like Hoover, we sell our house to in the buyer's contract that I'm going to have visitation rights to come back and <laughs> see my plants and my trees. Just that walk I've through the backyard. Yes. yes. I could come visit at least twice a year. <laughs> <laughs> That's so um, funny. Just the plants. Just the yes. Plants. Yeah. If they don't kill them or if the college station water doesn't kill them. Yeah, you can gut the house and change my paint color. Who cares? But <laughs> keep my plant, keep my trees. Um, so how how can being in a position of leadership affect our willingness to be vulnerable? Because we have this facade, we have to have it all together already. So when we get put in leadership positions, a lot of times that pride goes up. So how do you think um, being in that position can help or hinder being vulnerable? I think one of the hardest parts about being vulnerable as a leader is I feel like our culture naturally loves to disqualify leaders. It loves Mm. to hunt them down and find the flaws in them. And everybody loves whether they're verbalized or not. It is a story that sells. If sex doesn't sell it, falling, seeing fallen stars and fallen leaders sells, Mm. you know, people follow those stories. They read those articles constantly. And, I think as being in a leadership position is this always this concern of, will this disqualify me as a leader? You know, and, and we know that we're all broken. Every single one of us does. At least I hope leaders do. I, I'm going to speak for myself in particular. I, I know I'm a complete wreck. And I know I remember going through my um, time of anxiety and panic attacks. Uh, does this disqualify me as a leader? 
Mm-hmm. Or if I, if I struggle with this, is this too much for to lead anymore? Because mm-hmm. people want to go in there. They're either pursu- pursuing your position that people think just because it's a Christian organization, it's different than a, than a company, a secular organization. But sadly, there's a lot of people that are still pursuing your same spots in Christian organizations or in mm-hmm. Christian leadership. You think about going back to college. People are always, whether they're running for office, and we're broken people that do broken things in a broken world. And naturally, because that happens, is people are searching for a way to disqualify you. And, and Satan's looking for that way. And I think as, as being a leader, you're going... If I share this, will I lose my position of influence? Will I lose this position of, of leading? Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, I know the areas that I'm influencing, I, I feel confidence where God's called me to. Mm-hmm. But not everybody else sees that calling on my heart. I think it's just a sphere of people that will go in there and discredit your ministry or discredit your testimony or discredit everything about you. Mm-hmm. Um because you're a sinner. And the reality is, we're all sinners. And this should not be some kind of shell shell shock. I can say that three times. (laughs) But that shouldn't be some kind of shell shock to anybody that we're broken people and leaders are broken as well. But for some reason, we have this expectation, especially in the Christian world, we put all of these big name people up on pedestals. Yeah, They, They can't sin. They can't sin, Mm -hmm. you know, and then we act shocked that they're sinners, even though they're preaching week after week and week after week that they're sinners. And then once we find out they struggle in a certain area, we boot them out Mm -hmm. and then we put put somebody else in the position the next week and we lift them up if they, if their podcast goes up really quick, but then we want to disqualify them if they're not perfect. Mm-hmm. And so I think as people is trying to protect their ministry or protect the way that God's working because they're fear that they're going to get booted because they're not perfect and they mm-hmm. know they're not perfect, but they have to keep that in such a small circle of trusted people because they're, they're in fear of, right. of the power because people love a good fallen Christian story. It sells, which is just why I love the speakers that come out. And they just are so honest and they're so vulnerable of being going, I'm a wreck. And they go out there and just, and they're so honest. And it's the reason why we can think of a few names of it because they are so rare. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so abnormal in our culture, which is a shame because it's exactly what we're called to be. Mm-hmm. And the reality is scripture tells us they are a wreck. Mm-hmm. And so to think that to even be hiding it, no, yeah. No one can get up there and be Jesus. Like, and that's no. the expectation that we put on them. It's like, I'm going to look to you for my source of my fuel for what I need for my soul, right? But right. they cannot provide that in any, you know, they, the Holy Spirit can do that through them. So why are we surprised when their human nature fails? Right. And it's always so interesting because, um, you know, my husband works with, call, you know, about 555 college students that he works with and I try to meet up with a couple of the girls uh, who are in leadership and checking on them and and always kind of ask you know um, okay how's are you feeling heard by Phil are you feeling like I'll kind of ask some questions and I'm like 
I need you to know that I'm on your team right now. I'm not coming to you as Phil's wife. Phil is a sinner. He is not perfect. And he, I'm hoping he is not coming off across you that he feels that way. And so feel like you can be honest with me about this. So like how, how is it among the leadership? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times that people expect leaders to think that they have it all together or that it's their way or the highway. Um, and I think it's, it's being able to come at this and going, Hey, I'm, I'm an open book. Like you can come talk to me anytime, but at the same time in leading an organization, I'm not going to come share my junk with everybody that I'm leading. Mm-hmm. Like here's people that I am meeting with in my life. Here's my mentor. Here's I, my people that I'm accountability group that I'm talking with. If you have any concerns or things you want to ask me, let's set up a time to talk. And so I think it's, it's such a balance as a leader of being honest, finding the appropriate times to be honest and transparent about what certain things, but also being available to talk with people about it. I like that. And that's a big one. Okay, so Jean-Marie, tell us, what is one thing you wish you knew as a 20-something? I, I would say as a 20-something is go and do. Don't, don't try, don't be so focused on going to the next step in life and trying to check things off of success or dating, get married, have kids versus go and be free. Or I often tell girls that I meet with, be selfish. This is your time to be selfish with the Lord that you get all the time outside of your work hours to spend time with God to go do things for God, whether it's to volunteer in certain areas with ministries in your town or to go on mission trips and travel. Like you are number two right now. It's God and you. And it's a great time to be selfish to do that because once you're kind of, as you grow in your job, you have more responsibility and you have more time constraint and you have more demands on you that you get to be less and less selfish because of those responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And then if, if, if marriage comes to be a part of your story, then you get to be a lot less selfish because now you have mm-hmm. somebody else that you have this partnership and you have to think of them. And then if kids become as part of your story, you get to be less and less. <laughs> it's and just, all over. After that. It is. And it's, it is such a great thing, but it is not a time that you get to be you. <laughs> it's not a time that you get to live for yourself because you have so many other people that you've been entrusted with mm-hmm. and that you get to take care of with and yet that you get to lead and you get to invest. Like the people that I get to invest with first start with my house, with my husband and my kids. And then I get to invest outside of that. And I oftentimes, you know, I look at the different needs here in College Station and I always laugh. I'm like, oh, if I were single, I'd be able to to work on that transitional house for women in the industry. Like, but being a married woman with kids, with young kids, I don't have that opportunity. I don't have that capacity to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, like, the one thing that I wish uh, 20-somethings would understand and grasp and run with is seeing the amount of capacity that you have and run with it Mm -hmm. and go and like fully use it because you have no clue when that's going to change. If a job move changes you, you have no clue that if, if a person that you're going to marry is right around the corner, because once that happened, it happens. 
Um, and then you have no clue when kids are coming. Like, there's so many things that you think you have a somewhat of a gauge, but it can catch you off guard. Mm -hmm. And so I would say run at full capacity of being selfish, of doing things with God and for God. Um, while you, you're not in, responsible for anybody else. Yes, I love that. Right now is a gift, right? It is. And it's, and it's something that I, like in my starting later 30s, um, then I'm able to look back and I'm able to celebrate people because I spent several years doing a lot of incredible things. Um, traveling overseas and had a lot of amazing opportunities that I don't feel like I missed it versus I feel like I can relate with people because I got to do it. And so I'm able to be more in my moments now with my young kids and more in my moments where I have less capacity because I can think of the times that I went at full capacity for God and with God before I had all these extra responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And so I don't I don't regret it. I don't feel like I lost that time. And I don't want to necessarily go back because I look at it and go, I did it. And I know that it was not too long. Kids will be out of the house and then I'll have more opportunities instead of be present where I am today. Right. That's so true. Are there any resources you could think of that you could put in our hands around the topic of just being vulnerable? Yeah, absolutely. Two books that I highly recommend. Um, one is called um, Return to Joy. Um, it's by Bev. Um, I cannot say her last name for the life of me, but I'm hoping that you can link to it in your show notes. Yeah. Um, but it is a short book. It's kind of a workbook. And it's maybe like five to seven pages. And then you'll answer a few questions. Okay. Um, each day it has like five days on each chapter and it really allows you to really kind of because sometimes people have a hard time being vulnerable because they don't know how to be vulnerable because they're not sure what to share and they don't know what's interesting or what they are struggling through yeah. or what they're working through and so I think that book will allow you to start finding those questions and finding those topics um, to be able to talk through yeah that's a good one so I- I think that one's fantastic. And then another one is a book called Rooted, um, which obviously goes in my theme with my tree. But it Rooted is by um, Bainey. Well, I, I, you know what, y'all? I am dyslexic, and <laughs> I am a true and approved dyslexic. And so um, I'm not even going to try to say his name, but we'll get that also linked up in the show notes. And so those are two really great books. Um that really make you start processing things and start thinking about those. Yeah. I'm excited to look those up. I've heard of rooted, but return to joy sounds really good. You know, and audible is my friend. I'm mm. listening on audible. And so, um, obviously return to joy is a workbook to work through. But, um, for me, I spend a lot of time in the car or going to the gym or, um, doing dishes and laundry around the house. And so, or grocery shopping, um, I listen to Audible and listen to books. I'm able to get through books a lot quicker that way. Yeah, so. that's so true. Not always a lot of time to just sit and read a book. Don't we? <laughs> Especially yes. uh, when you have three kids, you know? Yes, yes. So we can cherish that time if you have that yes. time. Uh, I love to read. That's, that's my thing every night. So I'm soaking in that time. I know there will come a day when I don't have that. So Yes. <laughs> okay. And lastly, what is refreshing you these days? Well, I 
well, my plants, what we talked about, mm-hmm. I can either spend time watering my yard or going to different garden centers around town. Um, I really enjoy that. I also really, we're, um, our daughter, Olivia, just learned how to ride her bike. Aww. And y'all, when you, when your kids get rid of training wheels, it is like the second best thing behind <laughs> being diaper free. Um, it makes life go so much easier. So family bike rides are really great for us. Um, and I really enjoy that. Um, I also really love Voxer. I know Marco Polo is supposedly the better thing. No, but I'm Vox so, all the way. I'm, I'm team Voxer. Um, because a lot of times it's hard to connect with people, even people here in town. Talking about Sarah Martin earlier. Mm-hmm. She and I Vox and we live just a few miles away from each other. But we can't always necessarily spend 30 minutes on the phone talking to each other. So whether it's somebody here in town or mm-hmm. family or close friends, uh, different accountability partners I've had throughout the year, I'm able to catch up with them a lot more through Voxer. And so it's an oldie, but it is still a goodie for my soul. So um, and last but not least, but I love the podcast called Popcast. Oh. And they have a new series called Bible Binge. And it's kind of, uh, if like us weekly met the Bible, it's kind of talking, <laughs> it's sticking to scripture it's sticking to, you know, good theology, but it's, uh, kind of telling it from a more of a dramatic perspective. So, uh, um, it's funny. It's, it's not your Juana's version. So, but it's fun. <laughs> version. Yeah. I'll have to check that. I've, I've seen it. I don't think I've listened to one yet, but I'll have to check that out. They're entertaining for sure. Well, thank you so much, Shiri. It was so fun. Hey, thanks, friend, for having me.